Amen. Good morning. You beat me to it, Harold. Good morning. So glad to see you this morning. I, uh, I'll tell you what, God's doing some really cool stuff in our church. I hope you're noticing this <laughs> because uh, I want to just say a, a huge thank you and uh, to the Lord first, but also to the men who have been stepping up and women who have been stepping up in leadership, right? Uh, last week, Hayden did a fabulous job bringing the word. The week before, Douglas did a fabulous job bringing the word. Uh, a few weeks before that, Lawrence did a fabulous job bringing the word. We also had Eric Pickett that taught Equip last week, and to, uh, today we've got Jason and Carl teaching Equip. Today we had Maverick leading worship, right? I mean, are you paying attention? The beautiful thing here is that when God calls us to himself, he calls us to grow. He calls us to mature. And as we mature in Jesus, then we serve. Right? We grow and then we go. We grow, we serve. And so my question is, what's going on in you? Are you growing? Are you ready to serve? Are you ready to go? Because that's what Jesus is calling us to. In fact, in the next few weeks, we're going to start a little series. It's going to be a little short few-week series. And we're going to call it GPS. You know what a GPS is, right? We've all got them on our phones nowadays. Global positioning system is what it means. It means that the satellites can detect exactly where you are on the planet, down to your street, your home. It's pretty crazy. Well, we're going to talk about giftings, passions, and service. And the fact that when we really find out what our giftings are and what our passions are, we can figure out where to serve. And God can position us exactly in the kingdom and in the church that, where we need to be. And so I'm excited about that series coming up, but I'm just so thankful for these young men. Praise God for what he's doing in our church. That young women as well are leading and serving and being a blessing, and I'm just so grateful for what God is doing in his church. Amen? Well, this is the day we're going to wrap up our Teach Us to Pray series. I, want to, I just want to say I've never been so connected to this prayer. Uh, I've never prayed it as, as deeply as a template for prayer. Jesus said to pray this way. And so I hope that you have been affected by it. I hope that it has um, really secured that memory uh, of that section of Scripture, of that prayer, that when you pray, that this is something you can go back to. Am I praying through these things in the way Jesus said to pray? Because I think it's a wonderful template to pray. And today we're going to finish up this series as we look at the very last little section of it. Um, Look with me this morning, not in the typical location. I want us to look in Scripture at Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, some of you are going, okay, what is this, what is this about? Luke chapter 2. I know we normally go here, not this time of year. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. It says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, remember that name, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David. Remember that as well, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, 
keeping watch over their flock by night. And, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do you feel cooler just reading that text of scripture? Right? Normally we read this in December. Normally this is a Christmas message. But I think it's so interesting. I was reading a, a book by a, an author I read some uh, called The Lord and His Prayer, N.T. Wright. And I don't agree with everything he says, but sometimes he writes really beautifully. And he, he brought this to my attention. He said, look at the comparison that Luke is doing in, such, in sort of a subtle way between these two kingdoms, right? Look at, look at verse 1 in chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. See that name? See, the thing we need to know about Caesar Augustus is he was the emperor of Rome at the time Jesus was born. It's the reason Luke puts it in there to give us a time stamp. Jesus' birth was real. He was a real person. He was born at a real time, and, and Caesar Augustus was emperor at this time. At the time Jesus was born, Caesar, Caesar Augustus had been ruling for about 25 years. He was about 60 years old. He was known, one of the titles that he loved was to be called King of Kings. Interesting, huh? And honestly, he had done some pretty amazing things. He, there hadn't been a, a leader or a kingdom that had ruled like his for 200 years. And in many ways, it seemed like Augustus had brought peace to the region. Now, the way that he brought peace was through murder and coercion. But it seemed like peace sort of, anyway. But his, his kingdom stretched from sea to sea. Meanwhile, if you keep looking in this text, you see the introduction of another king. 1,500 miles away in a little tiny speck on a map of Bethlehem. Now, what's interesting about Bethlehem is in the Old Testament book of Micah, it was prophesied that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. Right? So long, long before Augustus or any king or any kingdom... The word was prophesying of the birth of Messiah. So 1,500 miles away in, the, in a hay trough, another king is born. He's born with a price on his head. You might remember Herod had all the babies killed in uh, two years and younger in Bethlehem. He was vulnerable, yet he was dangerous to every kingdom of the world. He was a tiny baby, and yet he's the God of creation. He was a helpless child, and yet the hope of our salvation. I like how Luke contrasts these two kings in this story. See, Augustus named himself that. He came up with the name Augustus. It means great or majestic. Hey, call me that, right? Just call me Caesar Augustus. Let's go with that. Where Jesus was given that name by his father through an angel to his earthly father, Joseph. And his name means deliverer or rescuer of their people, his people. One's consumed with his own glory. The other is surrendered to the glory of the Father. 
One who has tried to create peace through murder and brutality, and yet another who brings true peace. And I love this piece of the text that we read this morning. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what? Peace. Real peace. Peace between us and a holy God among those with whom he is pleased. So we see the contrast in this story of these two kings. I like how the author of this little book said, but there's only one of whom the angels sang. See, when you compare the kingdom, which at the time was unbelievable, of Caesar Augustus, and you compare the eternal kingdom of Jesus, they're quite different. One shines like the sun, the other barely flickers in history. And the thing I want us to take a look at this morning as we look at the very last section of the scripture is that we are not that different from Augustus. Because we want our own kingdom, don't we? That's the, the big thing I found as I read through and I prayed through. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. As I read that, I thought, Lord, I'm, I'm at war at times with you because I want my own kingdom. And I want my own power and I want my own glory but that can't be when I pray this prayer and I say, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power and yours is the glory forever. Amen. That's the beauty as we pray this, as we memorize this, we say these things as a reminder of whose kingdom, whose power and whose glory it truly is. I want us to look today at this very last verse of scripture I know we've said it a lot, but I, I just want to say it again. Just Can we just say it one last time? How about we don't even put the words up there, Jason? Don't even put them up there. It's a real test, right? You ready? Let's go for it. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There we go. glory forever. Amen. Pray with me this morning. Father, it's not our kingdom. I have no power. In fact, I'm powerless. I have no glory. All glory to you today, Jesus. All honor. We surrender to you. We acknowledge that you are king. You are all powerful. And you should receive all glory. So God, I pray that as we pray this, we don't just recite some words, but in our hearts we can truly say amen. And agree. And commit to it. Lead us to truth today, I pray, as we study your word. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. So many of you are looking in your Bibles and you're looking for this verse and you're not finding it. You forget to print it in your Bible. I don't know what happened. If it's in your Bible, you're probably looking at a King James Version or a New King James Version. If you have an uh, English Standard Version, which is what we use mostly around here, it's not in there. NIV, it's not in there. Or maybe there's an asterisk or something next to it. Here's the reason. 
the earliest manuscripts of Matthew that we have are from about the 4th century. So think about that, 400 years after its authorship. And the earliest manuscripts we have from the 4th century don't include this phrase. However, we've mentioned this before, there is a 1st century document called the Didache. It's the document that actually the apostles and other leaders used to disciple people before they wrote the New Testament. So it's written literally just a few decades after Jesus' ascension into heaven. The early church gathers these things from the Old Testament teachings of Jesus. And many things correlate with the New Testament teachings as well. But in that document, this first century document, the Didache, it is there. This statement is there. So is this scripture or not? Do we know? How, how do we figure this out? Did Jesus make this a part of his prayer or not? See, here's the deal. We don't know. We don't know for sure. We, we, we can't be certain. That's why some Bibles print it and some Bibles don't. But that's what I want us to look, look at this morning to start with. The thing is, is whether Jesus added it as a part of this prayer or not, maybe the early church fathers added it, either way, it's okay that it's in there. And I want to explain why. I think either Jesus or those early fathers got it from this location. Look at 1 Chronicles 29, 11. This is what David says, and I'll give you the context of this. David is just about to die, and he's dreamt of creating a temple for the Lord. And he's got all the materials ready, he's got it laid out, and he's got his son, Solomon. You're, you're going to build this temple. And he prays this unbelievable prayer, and it's beautiful, and it's it's right before he dies, and at the very end of the prayer, he has this little section, which we often call a doxology. A doxology in Greek just means to speak or communicate God's glory. And so many people would have these doxologies just to glorify God before the end of a statement, before the end of a prayer. And so that's what's happening in the Lord's Prayer with this one statement. It is a doxology where we're communicating the glory of God. In Hebraic writing, it's called a Kadesh. And they would add this to the end of their writing. So a lot of theologians believe that the Lord's Prayer had this ending connected to it just as many other prayers had this connected ending. Because it was sort of a Jewish, Hebraic sort of tradition. And in a very Jewish early church, it makes sense that it would have been a part. So let me see where this comes from potentially. First Chronicles 29.11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. Does that sound familiar? And the victory... And the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So David originally praised this prayer, and it goes on. It's beautiful. And either Jesus or early church fathers potentially use at least portions of this prayer as a Kadesh, as a doxology at the end of the Lord's prayer and how beautiful it is, but that's not the only reason I think we can add it into Scripture. The other reason is because it doesn't change anything about the prayer. It just repeats aspects of the attributes of God in the prayer. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. So these are the things that I want you to see as, as, as Jesus has prayed them. He prayed, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? So this is God's kingdom. So to say yours is the kingdom, he's just repeating himself, is he not? So okay, so we're good there. He's just repeating what he's already said. 
He says, yours is the power. Has Jesus talked in this prayer about God's power? I mean, tremendously. If you consider that God had the power to send his only son to die for us, that he would make us adopted sons and daughters who could thereby call him Father, our Father. The power to be holy, uh, the, the power to be king of this kingdom that we're praying about, the power to be provider of every physical need that you have, the power to be uh, provider of every spiritual need that you have, to forgive you of your sins so he's savior and deliverer of testing and temptation. Does God have power according to this prayer? No, no doubt, right? Yours is the kingdom. We've already covered that. Yours is the power. There's no question he's shown that in this prayer. Yours is the glory. Has he shown that in the prayer? Our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. It's the pinnacle of the prayer, honestly. It's the most important section of the prayer, that, that God's name is to be hallowed. It means to be revered. It means to be valued. It means to be loved. It means to be everything. That as we pray that our lives would bring holiness, blessings that we would revere and bring value to the Lord, that in every way we would bring him glory. So for Jesus to say, yours is the kingdom, it's covered in the prayer. Yours is the power, it's definitely covered in the prayer, and yours is the glory. His name is hallowed, there is none beside him. All of these things are included in the prayer. No new information, right? No new doctrinal changes here in this prayer. So whether Jesus added it or the early church fathers, it doesn't really matter to me because it just reiterates the beauty of what Christ has taught us in this prayer. Therefore, I think we look at it as Holy Scripture. <laughs> and when we look at something as Holy Scripture, we have to apply our lives to it, right? So I want just for a couple of minutes here, I want us to look at these, these things that Jesus specifies in 13 here. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. I told you uh, this week, every time I um, approach a text, I kind of just try to immerse myself in it in multiple translations and languages, and I pray over it, and I couldn't, uh, the thing I just kept typing was, it's not mine. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. It's just clearly stating, it's not mine. So as we pray this, as Christ followers, we are saying, Jesus, this is about you. What is about you? Everything. Your life, your work, your marriage, your children, your future, your past, your desires, your hope, it's all about Jesus. Because it's his kingdom and his power and his glory forever. That's why Augustus is just a flicker in history and Jesus will be worshipped for all eternity. Because it's his kingdom and not Augustus's kingdom. It's his kingdom and not my kingdom or your kingdom. And so when we make this a matter of prayer and we pray this prayer, we're laying down our pride. Lord, yours is the kingdom, not mine today. You've reminded me, today is not about me. It's your power today. I won't make it on mine. It's your glory today. You're the only one worthy of it. I surely am not. We pray this prayer and it just, it causes humility. We lay our lives down. We lay down our pride. 
We say, God, this is not about me in any way. Not about my desires, not about my will, it's about your will, Father. And we humble ourselves before Jesus. He's the only one worthy. And yet what's interesting is Jesus, the only one worthy, I believe, again, he's so good to model things for us, right? And I believe that there's a little text of scripture, I was studying through this, you may remember, so Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and right after he's baptized by John the Baptist, the Bible says the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, right? And he's going to fast in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And I've fasted water alone not that long. It's hard, very difficult. And so Jesus, in his humanity, he's fasting, he's hungry, and that's when Satan comes in. And I believe Satan is, this is an arguable uh, point, but I believe Satan is challenging Jesus in his kingdom, in his power, and his glory in the wilderness. As you look at the three different temptations, as you look at what he tries to draw Jesus away from, as he tries to deceive and twist scripture to get what he wants, which is, by the way, exactly what he does in your life, tries to deceive and twist scripture just as he did Adam and Eve. Is that what God said? He does the same in your life, and he tries to draw you away and deceive you and twist the things of God. And he challenges the kingdom, the power, and the glory of Jesus. And of course, where Adam failed in the garden, Jesus overcame in the wilderness, didn't he? So Jesus speaks the word of God back to Satan, defeating him every time, even as he's weak and as Satan leaves him and is defeated, Jesus is cared for by the angels. So I, I want us to just consider these three things for a moment. You know, I like the way... Um, uh, we're going to get to this in just a second. John Piper says that there's, there's three things to consider about the Lord's Prayer and three things to consider about us. Three things about God and three things about us. And this morning I want us to look at these three aspects that we see in this last verse. Kingdom, power, and glory. When you think about a kingdom, obviously you think about, I don't know, think about places with kings. You have to have a king. You have to have the moniker. You have to have somebody leading. So we are citizens of this kingdom of God, and Jesus is our king, right? And as we pray this prayer, we're not only praying for his kingdom to come through our lives, and we talked about this when we discussed your kingdom come, your will be done. Every time we make a decision that honors Christ, every time we do something that, that blesses people and is obedient to his word, we are ushering the kingdom of heaven to earth. Anytime we serve people in need, anytime we do something that, that is, uh, shows who God is and good works that he has prepared for us, we're bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. But also when we pray this prayer, we're praying a future element. Yours is the kingdom. In other words, one day, Lord, everything, everything will be your kingdom. Right now, when I look outside, when I look in social media, when I look at our country, when I look at society, it's hard to see the kingdom of God. Am I wrong? You can see little flashes of it here and there in the lives of people and in different things that happen, but sometimes it's hard to see. I like what John writes in Revelation 11, 
15 about this future kingdom. He says, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become, become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. You hear that? One day, this kingdom won't look like it does today. This, this world won't look like it does today. It'll look like the kingdom of God on earth. There will be a moment when even in heaven it is, it is pronounced, it is announced, it's declared. The kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And I can't wait. And so when we pray this prayer, Yours is the kingdom. It's, yes, it's about what God's doing in our lives, but it's also this future aspect of us in faith believing God is going to do something one day. So beautiful and so glorious. And his kingdom will come. We talk about power. You know, a lot of people in politics and different things that are jockeying for power. And there's something, I prayed this in my prayer just a minute ago, there's something very freeing about coming to the understanding that you are powerless. That God has all the power and you have none. And that's a good place to be. To trust and rest in his power because he has it all. All on your behalf. Everything you need. That he holds your very heartbeat this moment. Like your heart is beating right now. And right now. And right now. Because God loves you and he's in control of everything. I love this text in, in Colossians 1. Listen for the power of God in this text. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That alone. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Again, listen to the, each aspect of God's power. For by him, Jesus... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Can you read that and think in, for even a moment that God is not all-powerful? Right? From creation to our salvation, he has all power. And maybe today you feel powerless, and it's okay. Because he's not. Right? Yours is the kingdom, not mine. Yours is the power, not mine. I don't have to have it. I don't have to have fame. I don't have to have anybody know my name. I don't have to have anybody approve of me apart from you, Jesus. Yours is the power. Are you in a place in your life right now where you need a power? You need to pick me up. You need some help. You need some strength. You need some encouragement. Lean on the one who holds it all together because he has it all. Then we look at the glory of God. 
There is none who stand beside our God. He stands alone in his glory. He alone is glorified. He alone has a name that is to be hallowed, holy, and valued, and reverenced, revered. I love the story of Jesus revealing just a taste of that glory to a few of his disciples. You know, we see in in Jesus' ministry, he's got the 12 disciples, but he's got three that he's really investing deeply in. It's one of the reasons we believe so strongly in triads. Something else happens in a triad community of three or four people. You go deeper in your walk with Jesus. You go deeper in your confessional life. You go deeper in your connectedness and accountability. And that's what we even see Jesus here with the three in his triad, if you will. He shows them a little bit of himself that they hadn't seen before. Mark 9, verse 2 through 8 says, And after six days, Jesus took with him his triad, Peter and James and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. They hadn't seen a white, this white, a bright, this bright. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, I love this, Peter doesn't know what to say, but he's going to say something. Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, (laughs) for they were terrified. I love that that, uh, Mark adds that. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. He just gave them a little taste. Like, guys, you can't handle the truth. You remember that phrase? (laughs) Trust me, friends. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle God's glory. Moses pleaded with God, God, show me your glory. And God said, I'll tell you what, I'll show you my backside. You can't handle God's glory. And so Jesus shows just a taste of his glory. Later, John writes about this glorified moment in his gospel. In the first chapter, verse 14, he says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. We've seen it. It's the glory is uh, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Yours is the kingdom, Lord, only yours. Yours is the power. It's all we need. It's all there is. There is no power that stands next to you, and yours is the glory. You know, for a lot of years, I sang on the road and, uh, as a singer, professionally. And the first year, uh, it was all about me. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I thought I was pretty cool, too. Head going like this. Signing autographs every night, feeling pretty good about myself. And about a year into it, the Lord kind of spoke to my heart like, hey, you know the reason I gave you this platform? It's not for you. It's not about you, actually, at all. I don't need you. (laughs) And I started realizing that because I had a platform to sing, and people enjoyed that and wanted my autograph or my attention or my time, I could turn that time to what Jesus wanted to speak to them. And when I learned to get it off of me, it's not about me in this moment. God didn't give me this opportunity for me. He gave it to me for him and for them. Then I began to say things like, 
as people would come up, hey, do you know the Lord? Do you really know him as your Savior? And I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds of people came to know Jesus. It was a platform not for me. A, a counselor in Nashville told me one time, he said, Drew, you know, the human soul is not meant for applause. It wasn't designed to receive applause. The only one worthy of glory, the only one worthy of applause is God. And actually applause is something that is toxic to our soul. We have to be so careful about applause, about glory, receiving glory. Instead, we need to, to learn to do what God in his grace helped me understand and continues to help me wrestle with, which, Lord, help me to turn anything you give me back to you. Let me just radiate your glory right back to you. Just like one day in heaven, he will give us crowns for faithfulness, and it'll be our privilege to take them off of our heads and lay them at his feet, because it's not about us. It's about his glory. John Piper says there's three things about God that we can remember. I, I wanted to mention this because as we move away from this series, I want you to have little thoughts of how to remember it, how to pray about it, okay? Three things about God that we've seen in this series. Number one, he's made us family, our father. Through Jesus and his adoption of us as sons and daughters, we pray our father. And his loving kindness, his goodness toward us. He's a father. Another thing about God is that his name would be revered and valued and honored as holy. Not just as a praise that we say on a Sunday, but how we live every day of the week brings his name glory. So next Friday night, next Saturday night, next time you're alone, will your life be bringing his name glory because you're a Christ follower? Or will it be about you? This is really what I want to do, God, you'll understand. Are we just laying it all down, Lord, this is not about me. Another thing about God is it's his kingdom we pray to come. It's his will that we pray God would help us to live He's a father. His name should be revered. It's his kingdom. Three things about us that we can be reminded of. That as we pray this, we would trust that he meets every physical need we have. He's a good father. He's a loving father. He gives good gifts to his children, doesn't he? You better say amen to that because you're sitting here breathing. You all look pretty good. Nobody looks too beat up this morning because God's good. He's merciful. He loves us. He meets our needs physically. He also meets our spiritual needs in forgiveness. And then his expectation of us and our forgiveness is that we would turn that and forgive others. And then the third thing about us is that we would choose to honor Christ in temptation and testing. Lord, help us. Help us in these moments. Deliver us from evil, from the schemes of the evil one. Deliver us. Help us to not make choices that dishonor you but move us toward obedience in you. And then what we're looking at today, some people call the amen statement, and I'm going to close. The amen statement. You know, this, I'm a good Baptist boy, if you didn't know that. And the Baptist folks, we like to say amen. Thank you. I was waiting on that, counting on it. The word amen is a Hebrew word. It means so be it. It means I agree. It means that's the truth. It means let it come true. So shall it be, but it also means I'm committed to it. And so as we pray, 
our Father. And we pray through this beautiful prayer, your, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm committed to it. Does that make you feel something different than just amen? We say amen all the time. But, but what you're saying is, I pray these prayers about you and about me. I trust that you're going to do everything you've said you're going to do. And I pray by your grace you'll help me do everything I've said I will do. I'm committed to it. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. I'm committed to it. It's true. So be it. Amen. May we be a kingdom people, friends. As we continue to pray this prayer, as we continue to, to bring our hearts back to the submissive, broken place where we understand that this is not about us, it's his. May we be connected to one another locally and globally as we pray our Father. May we be honoring of his glory in our lives, not in just the words we say. May we understand that it's not about our will, as Jesus prayed. Lord, your will, not mine. May we know that every provision in our lives comes from a loving Father, that we are forgiven by a gracious Savior and a deliverer that will help us through any temptation. No matter what you face, in his goodness, he always provides a way out. I'll close with this. I've always, in my opinion, I've always liked Johann Sebastian Bach as the greatest arranger of classical music. He's my favorite. He's a believer. And I learned something about him this week that I didn't know. I want to show you a picture, if we have that, Jason. Uh, if you can see that. The top picture, top left. Of course, back in the day, they had to make their own lines for their staff paper, right? And so after he made his lines for staff paper and after he began to construct something of unbelievable brilliance, he initialed JJ at the top. Those are not his initials. Those are initials of two Latin words, Jesu Yuva. And it means Jesus help me. He put it on the front of every piece of music he wrote. Jesus help me. So before he started writing, before he started taking down notes, he said, Jesus, help me. And then as he finished this piece of brilliance, on the bottom he wrote the initials SDG. Latin again, soli deo gloria. To God alone be the glory. Can I just say, listen, even as we've done this series, I think it's beautiful if you would wake up in the morning and say, God, help me. Tomorrow's Monday. Lord Jesus, today's Monday. Jesus, help me. And at the end of the night or the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of our lives, we say, to God be the glory alone for what you've done in me. And it is my prayer, Lord Jesus, that I have rightly understood it's not my kingdom, it's yours. That I have no power, you alone have power. And all of this life is for your glory and yours alone. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for the privilege, Father, to bring your word and to, to look at it today.
God, thank you for this beautiful prayer, this beautiful template of what it means to just sort of um, think through these elements, Lord Jesus, so doctrinally sound, so doctrinally uh, dense and beautiful that, God, we could just follow your template and we can connect with you in this prayer. We can connect with one another. We can understand, God, that uh, uh, who you are and who we are and how dependent we are upon you. And yet, Lord, we can hear this prayer and I can preach this message. And before the day is out, I'll be struggling with you about my kingdom and my power and my glory. And so, Father, I'm so grateful that you say, forgive us for our debts because I'm so indebted to you. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being all that we need. Lord, may we memorize this prayer. May we say it. May we pray through it. But more importantly, Jesus, may we live it. And we'll, we come to this part that says, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Not right now, not for the next week, but for all eternity. And then we put an amen to that prayer, God, that we would be saying, I'm committed to it. I agree with it. It is the truth. Help me to live up to it. That is the prayer of our hearts. It's the prayer of our church. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd help us. We bless you now. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.